Hi, I'm Sam Walsh, producer of Multisite Masters. Welcome to this week's show. Don't forget, you can also now find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher Radio. And if you enjoy our show, we'd love it if you could please leave us a review via iTunes. This episode is brought to you by Yapster, the mobile chat app for retail and hospitality teams. Yapster is designed to bring the benefits of fast, open communication to staff who rarely, if ever, have access to a desktop computer, especially those in frontline service roles. Unlike WhatsApp and other free-to-use platforms, Yapster is under the full control of customers and allows colleagues to interact in a secure, closed environment. It also integrates with your existing systems. Some of the UK's biggest retail and hospitality brands are already using Yapster to drive sales, improve job satisfaction and lower staff turnover. To find out more about how Yapster can help your organisation, please visit yapster.info. That's Y-A-P-S-T-E-R dot info. Now, I'm delighted to introduce our host for this week, Jane Sunley. Jane is founder and chair of HR consultancy Purple Cubed which advises some of the best-known names in retail, hospitality and beyond on just how they can harness technology to improve employee engagement. She is also the author of The People Formula, 12 Steps to Productive, Profitable, Performing Business, a book which will show you just how to harness simple, powerful and easy-to-apply business solutions to significantly enhance your business's reputation and boost both performance and profitability. You can contact the Purple Cube team via hello at purplecube.com or through their website purplecubed.com. That's purple as in the colour, C-U-B-E-D, all one word, dot com. Okay then, on to the show. This week Jane is talking to Gillian Thompson, director at Act Clean. Gillian previously spent eight years as the operations director at Gordon Ramsay Restaurants helping to grow the business from two to 23 restaurants by the time she left. Since then, Gillian has moved into the catering services sector and is now a director and the COO of Act Clean, a cleaning and support services firm supporting some of the very best restaurants in and around London. During the interview, Gillian talks about her time with the Gordon Ramsay group of restaurants and shares some great insights and stories from the early days. She also goes on to give some great insight into the changing trends and new struggles facing would-be restaurateurs in today's market. With an expanding staff base and a growing business at Act Clean, Gillian shares her simple but highly effective approach to people management, the same approach which she uses on a daily basis to retain her great staff and help maintain a healthy, happy culture. Over to you, Jane. Gillian, we're sitting here in Clapham ahead of a, a nice lunch in uh, Shea Bruce, which is always a treat. Yeah, one of my favourites. And we're going to have a bit of a catch-up via podcast. Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So, um, just can you just tell us a little bit about your career to date and give us a bit of a whirlwind tour, because I know it's been very interesting. <laughs> um, well, my, my first proper job was as a linen porter in the Copthorne Hotel in Glasgow, um, as part of a student placement at the time. And I was very fortunate to be sort of picked up by the general manager who moved me around the various departments over the years. And um, after she relocated to London, she brought me to be the food and beverage director at Millennium Knightsbridge. So that's how I ended up here. Um, I was there with her and we moved again together to the Baileys Hotel over by Gloucester Road. And that was when I was invited to volunteer to help with the first ever Gordon Ramsay scholarship. 
um, in 2001. So I met Gordon Ramsay and his then business partner and father-in-law, um, Chris Hutchison, and volunteered helping out with a couple of the, the scholarship competitions. He really enjoyed that. And they said to me, you know about hotels and things like that, and we're going to have restaurants and hotels to so come and work with us. And it was sort of as simple as that, and I did. So I, w- I joined them just before Gordon Ramsay at Claridge's opened, which was a crazy mental period of time. Um, the opening of the reservations lines crashed all of the Savoy Group, <laughs> as it was then, phone lines. So we weren't very popular even from the off. Um, and I was there with Gordon and Chris um, until 2009. Uh, an amazing time for me, really, opening restaurants all over the world and working with incredible people. Um, and I then decided it was time to do something a little bit different. And I moved very briefly to contract caterer as their MD, which just wasn't really the right move for me. So I did what most people do when they don't know what to do, and I became a consultant. And I worked on a number of uh, different projects, um, really exciting things like helping them with their reservations and private dining at Mandarin Oriental when they brought both Danielle and Heston in, which was quite a departure for them, and putting a bar concept into the Soho Theatre, which is just a very cool venue that's effectively the sort of home of British comedy. But the main thing that I did was to go and help a former supplier of mine act clean um, with business development, which I didn't know anything about at all. And I said, I can't do sales. So they said, well, just take people that you know for lunch and for drinks and, and for dinner and things like that and just introduce us. So that sounded like money for old rope. Yeah. Um, and so I did. And it was supposed to be one day a week in the summer of 2009 and um, or 2010 rather. And, and, and here we are, you know, and we've just completed a management buyout and I'm the COO and I'm extremely full-time and I don't have my consultancy anymore and that's a potty test studio. That's amazing, well done you. Very exciting and we'll explore that a bit more later. So going back to the Gordon Ramsay days because I'm sure everybody wants to know, how did you help them grow so rapidly and you know tell us a few funny stories from along the way? Well the the reason I think I was attractive to them at the start was because I knew about things that they didn't know about like health and safety and um, systems and processes so they had these incredible you know two Michelin star restaurants, Petrus and obviously Royal Hostel Road which was the only three star restaurant in London at the time but they didn't have any sort of infrastructure at all to back it up. You know, the, the, you know, Chris would do the painting on the weekends and his <laughs> wife did the flower arranging on a Monday morning. And it was, you know, it was, it was fantastic guest experience, but it wasn't really a very scalable thing. So they brought me on board to help with some of those things. And we had no idea at all that it would become the sort of size that it was then or, you know, across four continents and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I just worked with Chris to help build the infrastructure to support it. So when I joined, you know, we had two people that did sort of finance and one person who just started doing HR, but that was it. We were a very small team. And over the years, I helped them to establish, you know, central reservations office, a central private dining office, and a, and a, and a support function that looked after everything that was effectively not food and beverage. So I was never involved in telling amazing people like Jason Atherton what to put on their menu. No. But I would have controlled the team who would respond to you know all the guest feedback and the requests for menus and um, you know the private dining, the exclusive uses, the relationships with the general managers of the hotels, the asset managers, all the different hotel brands. We set up a central maintenance, purchasing, procurement, all of that sort of stuff that needs to happen to make the best restaurants you know around the world and predominantly in London at the time keep looking their best and delivering the support services to the guests that they expect 
So if ever somebody wrote in, you know, complaining that, you know, they'd saved up and they'd seen kitchen nightmares and they came from, you know, somewhere outside of London and they were very disappointed that Gordon didn't cook their lunch, I would deal with the response to that. Um, and Gordon was the best place to respond to that because he always said, you know, if you buy an Armani suit, you don't expect that Giorgio stitched it. <laughs> and there, and and there's sort of lots of really great stories from that time. I mean, one of the things which still makes me laugh to this day, but was an, a horrifying thing at the time, was when Gordon did the F word, and him and Janet Street Porter did a segment about horse meat, and the next morning, a ton of horse manure <laughs> was dumped on the doorstep of Gordon Ramsay at Claridge's and the general manager was beyond horrified it actually made the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald the next day oh. um, but that was funny because I didn't really know how to dispose of a ton of Not really, horse no. poo um, <laughs> and so I phoned Act Clean um, my friend John and said you've got to help me and he didn't laugh at me which is what he should have done and he yeah. came up to sort of hold my hand whilst we dealt with it it actually turns out that when PETA have dropped horse manure on your doorstep that that's in fact an act of terror and it therefore becomes like object A or exhibit A or whatever <laughs> and it had a, it, it did actually have like a, a sort of stake in the ground or a stake in the horse poo that said A um, oh. and it, it was genetically tested before somehow the police disposed of it so oh my goodness yeah lots of kind of funny stories yeah. really you know opening hotels and um, LA and sitting next to David Beckham for dinner or <laughs> doing the good food show in Glasgow and realising that actually our easy jet flight was going to be four hours after we were finished so Gordon just got us a plane and <laughs> off we went um, you know we had, a, we had a restaurant in Glasgow at the time, Amaryllis, which was where people went for high days and holidays and um, never seen so many girls refuse a marriage proposal or so many grown men cry. Um, <laughs> so, you know, really great opportunity. Worked with amazing people, Angela Hartnett, Jason Atherton, Mark Askey, Mark Sargent. Just really brilliant talent. It was a, it was a great time to be there. Well, of course, they've all gone on to do so well. Do you like to think they've taken some of your system stuff with them? Um, well, I think... I th- I'd like to think that they have, and certainly when Angela and Jason did their own thing, they, they did ask for little bits and pieces along the way, and they, they both actually became clients of mine um, with Act Clean as well, which I think says something about yes. relationships that we've got, and, and Jason is still a client and you know, on a big growth trajectory, um, and through some of the work that we've done with, the, you know, we support the Acorn Awards with the Caterer, we're coming across their next generation of talent coming through, which is just amazing. It's making me feel old, but it's fantastic, you know, to <laughs> see Jason's head chef from Berners Tavern get an Acorn yeah. last year, you know, just is, is brilliant. It's really great. Yeah. Absolutely. So what do you think the challenges are these days to restaurateurs that have changed over the years? Definitely the cost of rent and rates and labour and all of those things make it prohibitive for many people. You know, there if you look at restaurants like the Savoy Grill or uh, you know now Fair at Claridge's places where you know, you know I worked before with Gordon, these are really big, expensive sites, and only very well established restaurateurs who are very well funded can really afford to get access to that. The positive of that is you see the sort of you know lots of really small, fun, creative things that are sort of popping up. You know, who would ever have gone to, you know, Brixton fifteen years ago to eat or to you know Shoreditch yeah, and yeah, the top of the car park in Beckham, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Which you know is near to near to my house and I've still never been, which is a shocker. <laughs> or you know, I was speaking to a friend this morning who went to you know one hundred and eight 
um, the garage, which is in a W10 postcode. I mean, I don't even know where W10 is. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think the sort of challenges for restaurateurs have actually created things which are interesting and are, are fun. But if you walk around those big sort of Zone 1 Mayfair restaurants, it's, it, there's a very small pool of people that pretty much operate all of them. Yeah. And they do brilliantly. Um, but how that creates the next generation of talent is, is, a, is yeah. a question, I think. Restrictive, isn't it? A bit restrictive, yeah. I mean, some yeah. of these Overly. overheads and the rents are just absolutely crazy when you read about what's happening with the business rates. Even with some of our clients, you know, that are in the old, old clubs, are going to find these things effectively will ultimately kill their business. Yes. They just won't be able to continue, and that's a real, real shame. Yeah, I see, absolutely. So clearly, when you are running any sort of business, it's very important to get the right people on the right team. What sort of things do you look for when you're recruiting? Um, well, obviously, commitment, attitude, really, because you can pretty much teach people anything. I've never met a rocket scientist who became a hospitality expert, particularly. Um, and anybody that's willing to be taught and to listen, they, they're the people that you want in your team. I want people that have got empathy. You know, I was once accused by one of the private equity firms that we worked with of totally lacking empathy. And I think it was one of the most hurtful things oh. I ever heard, but <laughs> one of the biggest lessons, because it's important to have empathy. Um, I think also nowadays, flexibility, you know, understanding that stuff happens in people's lives. And if you look after them, they will look after you. Um, but really, it's all about attitude and and the opportunity to want to learn and to progress. Um, in our managers, you know, we've, we've, had, we've had very, very little manager turnover in the last two years, I believe, because we look after them and they look after us. We treat yeah. one another with respect, yes. and that's very, very important. Yeah. Simple humanity. Just treat others as you want to be treated yourself. The rest of it's just common sense not and good communication. Is it really? It's no, not at all. It's very true. And being honest both ways you know about what you can do for someone and yes. actually what you can't yeah. is there another way that you can yeah support them yes absolutely so Gillian from your experience when is it time or the right time to scale up your business what kind of indicators do you look for I think in my experience it's about opportunity and I think also it's preparing in advance for the opportunity to grow so the it, it, I don't think it's the fake it till you make it part that's not sustainable in a people business mm -hmm. so having the right people and investing in the people before you're going to scale up is being prepared for the sort of pitfalls and definitely listening to people and taking advice from people that have been there before you you know there is no point to try to recreate the wheel or to do it the hard way you know smart people get people that are better than them to do the stuff they're not good at yeah that for me is really important yeah. you know there's there's lots of things i struggle with and i've got a fantastic team that can do all of those things brilliantly for me um, so I, I think they're the opportunity I think also really understanding the market that you're in and what the requirement's going to be just because you think it's a good idea doesn't mean that it's a good idea so I think preparedness and having the right people behind you to be able to deliver it on the scale that you want yeah. to do it yeah. and then sometimes there's also that thing of just taking a punt you know I think yeah. when I joined Gordon at two restaurants in London there was I knew when I left sort of eight years later there were 23 worldwide wow. I, I, I don't think anybody planned that in terms of scale <laughs> no. a lot of that was just a happy accident and then I, I think also though you see how you know so many of those restaurants don't exist anymore because actually they weren't the right business or the right business model 
for that business or for that time. So perhaps the research and the preparedness is something that I've learned from those experiences yes. and that could have been maybe applied yeah. differently there. Yeah. I think Jason Upperton's quite interesting because he's very technical about the way he plans his business, isn't he? He is, and, and when you talk to Jason, he's very honest. You know, anything, he, he hasn't really had much that hasn't worked for him, but anything right. which didn't work commercially, he, he just took that on the chin and moved, got, got rid it. of it and, and, yeah. and, and moved on. Yeah. So, you know, he, and, and his, he keeps his people very incentivized and very yes. involved which is, is very successful for him. So he's able to scale very quickly back to the point I made about having the right people. But, in, but if you look at the things that Jason doesn't operate anymore, I think there's only two or three restaurants. And he'll tell you himself, you know, he'd probably have too many things going on in Singapore, yeah. which wasn't a big enough market. But rather than try and find different ways of relaunching or rebranding just, or whatever like that, yeah. he just cut his losses, cut your losses and, move, and on. move on. Absolutely. Um, which is definitely a good lesson. I've certainly learned that from Jason, you know, in, in our business, um, we don't do anything that doesn't tick the boxes. Where it's important to be clear about what you do do and equally as clear about what you don't do. Yes. So and yes. stay true to those yes. things. And I think that helps with scale and with success. Yeah. Um, and, and you know profitability which is yeah. what everybody that's running the business yeah. is ultimately looking exactly. for and taking the kind of vanity factor out I suppose is the kind of oh I want to make it work because I don't want to fail rather than that actually it's not working let's just get on with it definitely I mean previously I, we, I worked in a restaurant in Sloan Street which I think we um, rebranded three times before realising that you know this just wasn't really for yeah. us you know, yeah. let's, you know let's not make the same mistake four times and just get out of it yeah so on kind of progress and, and knowing how well things are doing, what sort of metrics were you looking at in those days? To, I mean, obviously, apart from the PML, but what were you looking at as indicators? And when I was working in yeah. Gordon Ramsay, um, we looked at, you know, there was all sorts of matrices. Obviously, cover numbers was something, PL, obviously, all those indicators around staff costs, uh, you know, margin, etc., etc. But a lot of it you could judged by the level of staff turnover that you had, mm. manager turnover, guest feedback. Uh, the We would monitor guest feedback forensically and because of Gordon you know, going out there telling other people what to do in their business with things like kitchen nightmares um, and, you know, and, and the way that he would sort of come across as a TV persona in Hell's Kitchen, people were always very, very happy to give you their opinion. I'm um, sure they were, yeah. So we would get hundreds of letters every month and as the as the restaurant I mean at Claridge's at the beginning we were getting about 120 letters a month really? every single one of which was responded to and personally you know signed off by someone by Gordon in the beginning and then ultimately you know by anybody at the yeah, end yeah. um and we would then categorize that feedback so is there is there a recurring theme in there this month you know is it the welcome is it reservations you know is it is it the food you know everyone's a critic these days etc etc and then sometimes you just got to make a judgment on whether you want to take that feedback on board or not but we would look very very closely at things like that and also what your partners are telling you know we've um you know the concierge in the hotel knows everything go and talk to the concierge and ask them what they're hearing because it's the things that you don't hear and the people that don't write yes the people that vote with their feet actually or with their wallets are, are really the most important ones to listen to yeah. So it's finding all the people that surround you that can give you good advice. You know, it's back to that smart people analogy. Get yeah. other smarter people to help you. Absolutely. And on that note, um, very interesting that you've moved from the restaurant business to the cleaning business. Yes. Poacher turned gamekeeper. Yes. Tell us all about that. 
Well, uh, we wouldn't. We don't really call ourselves a cleaning company. Cleaning is what we do, but we're a, we're a hospitality business. You know, we only work in hospitality. We only work in hotels and restaurants, and we only work at the sort of top end of the market. And that's not any sort of vanity or arrogance. But what we really sell is compliance around our systems and processes. So, you know, in largely living wage working, there are so many people who have right to work issues and um, we're bulletproof with that our last home office inspection said it was actually the best system they've ever seen wow and they want to bring uh, colleagues in to show it which is that's a amazing huge, huge honor because we spent years and thousands developing yes. it so that's really and a great exciting. peace of mind for your clients absolutely so that's really what we sell compliance reputational peace of mind um you know our health and safety is the best in our sector um, we've had it all interrogated by Westminster, who are the lead authority in the whole of the UK. And that's for what we do. And then it's the communication and the relationships with the clients. So, you know, I can go to see the chef and I can speak his language. You know, I've felt his pain. Yes. I know exactly what is the problem when the kitchen porter doesn't turn up or when the night cleaning hasn't been finished in time or you know, when accidentally someone's dropped a filter in your induction hob and smashed it into a thousand pieces. Yeah. Thank you, my team do that. Um, <laughs> And I know how to respond yes. to that and to deal with yes. it because I, I, you know, I, I get the operational impact of that having been the client before. So they're the things which are sort of, that's where the harmonies are. You know, it really is just about good communication, honesty, and you know, delivering on promises, which is not different from when a guest comes for their, you know, 40th anniversary to a Gordon Ramsay restaurant with those expectations. Yeah. Same, so same process. Totally the same process. Yeah. 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 And how about doing a management buyout? That must have been a bit up and down and emotional and a it's bit of a roller coaster. Everybody tells you that before you start on something. And, um, you know, I remember speaking with you and getting some views, obviously very experienced and people have done it. And, then, and you kind of think, how can it be that difficult? And actually it's all entirely true. It's an extremely difficult thing to do. Um, and there, you know, so many people involved in the process, you would think that, like, doing our little deal with Act Clean was like selling Apple. You've yeah. never seen yeah, so many yeah. lawyers or documents. <laughs> I think I signed 150 documents wow. on the last day to sort of make it go. And of course you spend months preparing not just the business, but how you're going to position it, you know, your IM, which is effectively your brochure to get people interested. And then there's a beauty parade of people with cash to meet and try and find the right partner, the right investor. And then there's the same thing to go again with the banks. And then there's the due diligence and some of that. Oh, my goodness. Our legal due diligence report came back at 130 pages. Mm. Our management due diligence wanted to go back and speak to people that had reported to me 10 years ago. Wow. So they really did check out that we weren't a bunch of sort of serial killers who just managed to yeah. sell a really good story. Yeah. So And it's, it's very time-consuming. And also you're trying to... So you're trying as a, in an MBO, you're trying to sell a business because you've been a, you're a shareholder. You're trying to buy a business because you're going to go forward with in a new arrangement. You're trying to run a business, and you're also trying to grow sales within your operation so that you can yes. drive the optimum value for the exiting shareholders. So, you know, it truly is a jack of all trades, but got to try and be the master of all of them because otherwise it's a bad deal. Yeah. So it was very emotional and and. Um, and, and you know difficult because you, you sort of get geared up you know, we'd hoped to complete our deal in October 
November, December, <laughs> January, and eventually on the 9th of February, you know, that was it. And it's, and it's fantastic. You know, we, we really believe that we have found the right partner. Um, and they, they did what we do. You know, when we're pitching for business, we tailor prospects. You know, don't ask us what we think because that's such just a good story. Ask our clients what they think and ask any of them. You know, we're not just going to direct you to my husband who happens to be a client. You know, we're going to be honest about that. And that's what our investor said as well. They said, go and speak to the CEOs of the other businesses that were um, you know, invested in. And the feedback all came back really positively. So we think we found a really great partner. And, that's great. You know, it's early days, but so far so good. You know, they've helped us to appoint a really, really experienced chairman. So we're quite excited about the opportunity to learn from him. Yes. Because you know, when you've got your own business and you've been in it for a, a long time, you know, our, our CEO has been there since the start, so yep. nearly 11 years. You know, I've, I've, I was a client before and was and even in the business they had before, but I've been there full time for seven years so to learn from other people who have a different background is exciting you know that's not mm. something that we've done recently um and the opportunity to keep on growing in our sector with the support and the investment of people who really believe in our plans just brilliant you know it feels completely different very good well congratulations thank you wish you well thank you very much for joining us it's been really interesting with pleasure thank you very much for having me Thank you to our guest, Gillian Thompson, director at Act Clean, and to our host, Jane Sunley, founder and chair of Purple Cubed. If you want to get in touch with either Gillian or Jane, you can find their contact details on our website, multisitemasters.co.uk. Thanks also to our episode sponsor, Yapster, the mobile chat app for retail and hospitality teams. Some of the UK's biggest retail and hospitality brands are already using Yapster, to drive sales, improve job satisfaction and lower staff turnover. To find out more about how Yapster can help your organisation, please visit yapster.info. That's Y-A-P-S-T-E-R dot info. We hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to welcoming you back for next week's episode. In the meantime, if you'd like to feature on a future podcast with us or would like to suggest a colleague or someone you think would be great on the show, just get in touch. You can email me at producer at multisitemasters.co.uk or check us out through the website. Thanks.